2: Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Forever. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts... Eric Shapiro David North Martino
3: John Copenhaver
2: and
0: Al Warren on 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs.
3: Welcome back into the House of Mystery. And of course, I'm Al Warren. And in the east side of the country, we have Mr. Martino. Captain, my captain. Yeah, Yeah. now the the drug dealer. Hey, so um, yeah, so you excited? You're gonna have your new Martino at the movies page. I am very excited for that. Yeah, Mr. Martino doing reviews, and you too can find out the best on streaming movies. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Nobody cares. Um, yeah. Okay. So now today we are talking with, um, I'm not sure, uh, we're talking with an <laughs> with an author. I, I, I was <laughs> kind of hesitant on what to say the type of author we have. So uh, Christy Stratus, uh, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, uh, so Christy, how do you describe yourself as, uh, what type of writer are you?
2: Well, I call myself a suspense writer. I also call myself historical suspense. Sometimes it turns people off. But really, it's all suspense books that happen to take place in the Victorian era. So even if you're not into typical historical fiction, don't worry. It is suspense through and through. That's usually how I describe it, dark fiction and suspense.
3: So, you, know, when you if you were to explain that, so you're, you're talking about uh, suspense and fiction history. Um, So do you pick a particular event that happens and write around that time, or where does the story start for you?
2: That is an interesting question because it's usually pretty vague. Um, There's actually only one historical figure I've written about so far, which is surprising for a historical fiction author. But uh, I wrote The Wrong House, which is on Kindle Unlimited, around a historical figure named Dr. C.L. Blood, and he is a totally forgotten, but used to be notorious historical figure, and I have to say it was a lot of fun writing around him, because he is one crazy guy, (laughs) but typically um, I would say normally I'm not writing around a historical figure, and it really just takes place in the Victorian era because I'm fascinated by it, and so you know, you asked where my process usually starts, and it is kind of vague and maybe a little bit difficult to explain, but usually because, due to some kind of music I'm listening to, that's my biggest influence, I'd say, um, I will get some kind of an interesting, you know, visual in my head, and it will really start, a whole novel will start with something very small. Um, you know, it can be as small as just, for my very first book, Anatomy of a Darkened Heart, uh, I had this vision of a woman, young woman in a Victorian house with this Damask wallpaper. And um, she just, nobody seemed to understand her. She wasn't sure about even her own self. And that was really causing her to have a lot of problems. And that's literally where it started. That's all it takes is just some kind of small visual like that. And I can write an entire novel based on it.
3: <laughs> oh, so so you, uh, do you hear voices?
2: A bit, yeah.
3: <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah.
2: I'd say so. Yeah.
3: Well, that's so. So we never let you out of the house, right? You have to.
2: No, I must say locked away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, David's like. See, that I'm too. not the crazy, just yeah. the only crazy yeah. one. No you're, not the only... no,
2: you're in good company.
3: <laughs> Hearing voices and stuff. You got to keep them in the basement, otherwise, things. Yeah, chained up. Yeah, it gets really, really. <laughs> well, but this this is interesting because, um, okay, so now I've I've written um, a lot of true crime. Cults, history uh, it's all factual so I'm not I can't fictionalize things. I don't know if I would do a good job of it anyway. Um, so when you're writing about a time period like the Victorian and you're doing kind of a suspense or a darker history, um, do, do, do you pick, pick a particular location to have this story in and is it like a character in itself?
2: That is a really good question, and I would say um, generally for Anatomy of a Darkened Heart and Brotherhood of Secrets, which are my first two novels, they are in an unknown, unnamed town, and the reason I did that was because there's quite a lot of difference in the Victorian era um, between what kinds of things were available, like when mail was delivered, for example, and that plays a part in my first novel, um, there are a lot of small details that play into, you know, where something like that takes place in a different era. So to avoid those problems, I just have an unnamed town so that I don't have that issue in my first two novels. But um, I will say that the places, the location, as in the house that these books take place in, um, my First book mostly takes place in one house. It's the Whitestone house. Everything revolves around the Whitestone family. Definitely does take on its own, it is sort of a character. It's a dark character, and it kind of holds the secrets of everyone inside, and it ends up as a very claustrophobic location for everyone involved, really by their own doing. You know, the the ties that bind family in a negative way in that book. Um, And, of course, the house kind of comes to life and holds all of those secrets. And then on the other end, um, for The Wrong House and the Artist, which are short stories, part of the same dark Victoriana collection, I did have them take place in a particular location. The Wrong House took place in Boston, actually, um, because that was a location where Dr. Blood actually was. And I did use, you know, his real location where he, um, had his practice. we will put practice in very big quotes because he wasn't a real doctor, hint, hint. Oh. So, um, that, you know, that did play a part. And then the artist is a made up location, um, just similar to other locations also in, um, in Boston or around Boston. So, you know, it's usually the the house or the place where most of the, um, story takes place in that really takes on a life of its own.
3: When you take on that real character, like this doctor that wasn't really a doctor, so you're using a real person at a real time that did something, So, but your story itself is not true. It's a fictionalized account of how this man probably acted. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm.
3: So how do you decide what you're going to... What kind of a fictionalized story you're going to tell around this guy who was real?
2: I take a lot from his actual experiences, and I do have a fictional story. The main character who we follow is fictionalized. Um, but Dr. Sealblood himself is not. So basically I did a lot of research. As I said, he was for, he's a forgotten historical figure. Um, so there is not as much information as I had hoped there would be when I first discovered him. But I did a lot of digging into um, Victorian newspapers from that time. And I was able to find a lot of details about his personality. So um, those I did use. He was known as a masher. He was known as... <laughs> You know, somebody who was pretty intimidating. Um, and he had certain practices that were pretty devious. For example, you know, as I said, he wasn't a real doctor, but he claimed to be um, of lineage where his father was a doctor, which was also untrue. Um, but, you know, he just had, there were two people named the same name, Lewis Blood, and he claimed. That um, one, Dr. Lewis Blood, I believe it was, was his father. And in reality, it was actually a farmer, so not a doctor. Um, And, you know, through things like that, through knowing that he created false testimonies about his business, that he would hire people off the street to sit in his doctor's office to talk him up and convince people he was going to cure them and get a sort of head start on actually you know, fixing whatever was wrong with them. Um, When you put all of that together, that's where I heavily get his personality from. So while it is to a degree fictionalized, I base it off of the real facts that I've read about. And um, it's a lot of fun, really, because when I have those kinds of facts, I can really bring life to him. And I do feel like um, I probably got as close as I could with all the information I found to what he was probably like in real life.
3: Yeah, and it does take a long time. I, I've been doing two books on um, murders from the early 20s, um, mid 20s, um, in both America and England. And it, the newspapers are the really the source of information. Uh, but it does take a lot of time. How long does it take you to put together something like that then?
2: It really depends. So that one was actually very fast. Aside from the research, um, which, you know, once you get into it, as you said, it can take quite a long time. And Some books and short stories take me far longer than others. But, um, you know, if the research is relatively available, um, which it wasn't, I, you know, in this case, in the case of um, The Wrong House, I got so into it. You know how it is. Once you really get into the research, you're like digging in and you get real stubborn about it and you start doing really intense, you know, comb throughs of all these, um, you know, different newspapers and primary resources. Um, That one I ended up putting together in about two hours. And then I went back and did a lot of extra research to make sure I got it right. And then I tweaked and I tweaked and I tweaked. Um, but it was, you know, that was probably the fastest I've ever written anything historical. And like I said, that does not include the time that I researched the research time is extra. Um, but I focused so heavily on it and it is short. Um, so I was able to do it quickly, but you know, novels for me have always ranged Hugely. So, you know, Anatomy of a Darkened Heart may not be based on a real person, but it did take me, um, let's see, it was approximately, that was my um, easiest one to write, which was, it was my first one, uh, Beginner's Luck, let's call it. And uh, that took me about like six months, right? Brotherhood of Secrets took me more like a year and a half. And now the third book is taking a lot longer. Um, so, you know, it really is different every time. The artist was a few months, you know, so um, it's tough for me to determine when the next thing will come out, especially since writing is not my full time, but I'm hoping it will be in the future. Um, editing is my full time job. So I work around that. Um, but yeah, it, it is tough for me to like, you know, put a definite definitive time or even approximation on my work, as you can see it, it, it can range hugely.
3: Well, it, 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 then is there sort of a point where all of a sudden you go, it's done, it's ready? Is there something, is it a feeling part that you, that you get about a, a story, or is it uh, more technical? Like where, where does it hit you?
2: I tend to have two pretty specific processes. I have one process that's one draft, and one process that's three drafts. And I have found that all of my works fall into one or the other. So I either do one draft and bam, that's all it really took. I just really had the inspiration in my head. Maybe it's something that's been building for a while and I'm ready to write it. And I sit down and, you know, that's most likely a short story. comes out very fast and it comes out mostly right the first time, Um, aside from any research that is, you know. Um, But then there are other times with the three draft process where the first time is a discovery draft. I'm pantsing my way through it. For anybody who's not sure what that means, I'm just writing whatever comes into my head for the story. So I have my inspiration and my ideas, and I just write whatever. Um, And I get to a certain point with that, which is I don't usually finish the draft. I get to approximately the end, but not the actual end. And I say, okay, that's good enough. I know that I'm going to change the whole ending. I do every time. So I don't bother writing the whole end. I go back, and I rewrite um, mostly from scratch, actually, which horrified one of my writing friends, and I told him, he said, you rewrote the whole thing, <laughs> all of it from scratch? And, uh, and I did. Um, so that'll be the second draft, and that one I go all the way through, but I know that um, the, the main character's voice, for example, isn't, uh, you know, enough in it, in the narration, to really, really feel deeply in their p- point of view. Um, So that's where the third draft comes in, and I kind of do a big um, combing through it and making sure it really feels like we're in that person's perspective and really feeling what they feel and experiencing it. Um, Instead of just reading about someone, we kind of feel like we are somebody. Um, We are that person. So that's the third draft, and those seem to be kind of my only processes at the moment. So it's either one and done or it's three. (laughs) So I have a good idea of when I'm finished.
1: Do you consider yourself a natural short story writer or a natural novelist, or do you have a preference between um, those, those two uh, forms?
2: I tend toward the shorter side, actually. I love writing novels, absolutely, um, but, and I really love writing everything. But uh, I do tend toward the shorter side, and when I write a novel, I underwrite. I always have to add most mm. people's problem. From my experience, is that they have to cut back. On their story. It's too long. It's too wordy. Mine is the opposite. I don't have enough detail. I don't have enough from the person's perspective to really make us feel like, you know, make the reader feel like they're there. Um, But, you know, microfiction, flash fiction, short fiction, Um, All of that usually comes to me a bit easier because I am a more succinct writer and I like to use my words very, very carefully. So the word choice has everything to do with it. I don't have lengthy explanations. I mostly want you to picture um, people for yourself. I'll give an impression of what they look like, but I'm not going to describe them to a T because you're going to have, you know, as a reader, your own vision of them. And I don't want to ruin that. So, you know, I don't spend long periods of time describing things. Um, And I would say yeah that uh, shorter fiction comes a little bit easier to me than novel writing, even though I love them both.
1: Well, you're a poet as well, so I'd assume that um, uh, that that probably uh, factors in
2: yeah absolutely. I do like to write poetry i have been some of my poetry has been published in different journals um, so I very much enjoy it That's actually probably how it's how I it started in my childhood <laughs> when i was I've always written. I was just going through with my mom some of my childhood things, and I wrote since the time I could write, and I've always said that. But we were finding, like, I would be always writing down these little stories and stuff, a lot of poetry when I was very young. Um, And then, you know, even in college, poetry was my form of choice. And then, you know, it's kind of always stuck with me. And, of course... With poetry, you also have to choose your words very carefully. You don't want to waste time. You don't want to waste space. You want to have the best impact, the highest impact possible. And the best way to do that is, of course, with careful word choice. So really all of those kinds of forms coming together make me a pretty succinct writer, which is why my novels do tend to be on the shorter side, mostly between 50,000 to 60,000 words is usually where I am. I've never gone above that.
3: Wow. Do you... um do you ever worry like when you write about that person the doctor who wasn't a doctor do you ever worry about distant family members ever coming back and saying something to you or
2: um well I don't not with him um, he was definitely disgraced and he's uh, his disgrace is out there you <laughs> know everyone knows about it um, who has read about him all of the newspapers i don't I don't even know if he has any descendants honestly um, if he did I think think they would be illegitimate because I don't believe I ever read about a marriage. Um, So, you know, they would be his descendants certainly, but I don't even know if they'd want to be associated with him. Maybe by this time they would be. Um, But this, the information on him is so hard to find. Um, Who knows if they even know, you know, that much about him, even as an ancestor Um, with him. I have not worried about that. And as you know, that's a great point because of course he is in a negative light in my book because he was, negative person. So, um, But, you know, the only other historical figure that I am currently working on writing, this book is not out yet, but the third book in the Dark Triana collection will feature um, Alan Pinkerton, so one of the first, <laughs> or the first detective agency yeah. in America, and yeah. um, that will be portraying him in a good light, you know, so I don't really have the same kinds of stuff to worry about there. Um, but I think if he was a bigger historical figure, and there were obvious def- descendants around, like Dr. Sealblood. Um, maybe I would have to run it by them or something like that. I know that there are some careful things. You know, you have to be a little bit careful sometimes and stuff like that. Um, I have not had to do that yet.
3: Yeah. Oh, I've been through it, so I know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, <laughs> it, <That's> tough. <laughs> well, if the thing is it's not, it's not that it's necessarily bad, but it, sometimes it's just... Um, sometimes they're not in a place where they want to see um, books come out about someone that was a relative of theirs, you know, it kind of, sure. it's more about attracting the attention, especially if you're pretty true to the word of what, what's going on. So, you know, I can imagine. So we, I wonder if, um, it, you know, with using characters that are true in history is a base to, to run in a book. That's, that's good. But, what about the ones that you don't? How do you create that main character? Like, where does that person come from? Are they someone you know personally, someone you've met in a coffee shop, someone you... Uh that bumped bumped you in a lineup that you decide that you don't like like what <laughs> where, <laughs> where, i say that because JD, jd jd horn would say that someone cuts them off in a lineup he takes that character and kills them off in his book <laughs> so and he's a he's a bestseller so people like that uh, so i was just wondering so where do, where does it come from for you
2: that, that is really funny. <laughs> I can imagine.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so remember that really, next time you're in a lineup or something. Yeah. <laughs> be careful of who you cut off because they might be writing you in a book.
2: <laughs> I love that. Um, you, you know, I would say that, yes, some of my characters are maybe based on real people. A lot of them, I do a lot of research um, based on other people's stories. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you've ever read – this is a very broad example, but I don't know if you've ever read um, A Child Called It. I can't recall the author's name off the top of my head. It was recommend- It was one of these uh, books that was an option to read when I was really too young to read it. I'm not sure what age I was, but um, it's basically someone's true story, memoir, of um, their childhood and how they were brutally abused and they were um, the only one of a number of children in their family to suffer that abuse. Uh, like I said, I don't remember how old I was when I read it, but it left with a lasting impact. It was it was kind of disturbing because I was a little bit young for it. Um, but the school recommended it, so it's their fault. <laughs> I blame them entirely. <laughs> um, things like that really stick with me, and um, you know, I I don't know how to put this in a way that is that doesn't sound wrong, but these kinds of dark aspects do fascinate me and not in a way where I enjoy reading about people's pain or anything like that. I like to tell stories of people who um, go through a lot of people who are taken advantage of, of people who endure different kinds of um, dark psychological issues. So I do a lot of reading about real stories. I even read, um, maybe this will appeal Uh, To you, I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies of actually black and white movie stars, and that might not sound uh, like it would help at all. But truly, it is one of the greatest ways to research psychology, in my opinion, once you've got a really good handle on psychology. And, um, you know, when you read someone's autobiography and then you read other people talking about them and you kind of learn what is probably generally the truth and what is probably what that person wants to sound like and other people's grievances against them that taints how they're seeing them. It, all of it kind of comes together in this, you know, very interesting psychological maelstrom in a way um, that I love to pour into my books. And it comes out with a lot of people, uh, a lot of characters that feel very real. Um, so for Anatomy of a Darkened Heart, it does have, it does have child abuse in it. I don't show... Um, actual physical abuse, except for a very, very small part that is not too big of a deal. But I did have a couple of people actually message me and say, you know, I felt like you were talking about my childhood. I really felt like you understood what I went through, you know, and that kind of stuff impacts me, too. It's kind of heavy to think that putting all these, you know, all this research together actually drew somebody's true story out. And one of the things I hope is that although I write dark fiction and it's not meant to have happy endings or anything, I do hope that some of the people that read it find a sort of, I don't know if this will sound right, but a sort of comfort in not feeling alone. Um, that, you know, there are pl- not just characters, but there are plenty of people suffering with many, many different kinds of issues, whether it be mental health challenges or whether it be abuse by somebody. Um, it could be anything, really. But I I do like for people to feel like it's not just me. You know, I'm not the only one dealing with this. And so a lot of my characters, as I said, come from that kind of long-term research I'm taking from so much that I've read over time, and I'm always researching more and more and more, just all the time.
3: So you're saying it's a really ugly world and we're all here to suffer. <laughs> pretty much. <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, that, yeah, other than the end of the story, it's, it's not pretty. So... <laughs> Hold your breath.
2: I, it, it sounds pretty dark, and it is kind of dark, but at the same time, as I said, I kind of, I, I do hope that other people will feel the same, or they, some of them, whoever has gone through and can relate to these characters is kind of like, you know, I, I feel this author understands me, or something like that, you know, clearly I am not the only person who has endured this, I'm not the only person, um, and I know that a lot of people find some kind of comfort in just not being alone.
3: So is that what you want someone to get out of, out of each of your stories? And I mean that um, separately from the story. Is, is that kind of the subtext? Do you want some sort of a, um, a person to relate and to, to maybe feel that it can still end up, they can end up in a good place maybe? Is that kind of what it is? Like, so and let's put it simple. So if I pick up, let's say the artist read it, other than the story itself, is there something you want me to take away?
2: I would say, like for the artists in particular, that is probably more entertainment. But I would also say I hope you would take away um, the idea. This is not a new idea or anything, but the idea that um, you should always trust your instincts when something seems off. When somebody seems off, they're probably off. Um, You know, part of the attraction of the artist is um, we have a Civil War veteran who has put out an ad, which was not uncommon in Victorian times, put out an ad for a companion. He's saying that he, you know, he's been through a lot and he just wants someone to sit with him and talk to him and things like that. And so we have um, our main character, Miss Grant, and she goes to be his companion and answer that call. She is an artist. She is the artist. And um, she has been a companion to many Civil War veterans before. And what she likes is helping them through their trauma. And of course, in the Victorian era, they didn't know much about that. They didn't know much about PTSD or anything else. So really, she's just doing the best she can. And she wants them to feel her whole goal is that she wants them to feel like they are still valid people, no matter what has gone wrong with them. You know, it was very easy to get kind of pushed to the side of Victorian society if something was not right with you, whether it was mental or physical, Um, You know, people didn't want anything to do with that. So, you know, luckily these days are a bit better. But um, back then it was really, really awful (laughs) in that way. And so she's trying to make these people feel like they still have value and they're still beautiful despite whatever has happened. So she answers the call for um, Mr. Markham, who is a Civil War veteran. And she senses that something is really, really off because when she gets there, she finds all he has is a deep scar. That's it, just a scar on his face. And it, that doesn't really make any sense. One scar? That's what you're upset about? I mean, she, she says, you know, in um, the book, she, she says to him, you know, I've, I've sat with people who have no limbs left. You are so lucky that this is all that happened to you in the context of, you know, things that happen to people in war. Um, so, you know, she senses something is wrong, but she wants to help him. And there are some people who really just can't be helped and don't want to be helped, and that, you know, is one thing that, without giving too much away, um, is one of those things to watch out for in real life. I think we've all come across those people who end up hurting us a a lot more than, um, you know, we hurt them in any way, shape, or form. We're trying to help them, and all they're doing is hurting us. And my message that I would hope someone would take away is to look very carefully at people. And, you know, if somebody is seems off to you, if somebody is hurting you in one way or another, run. <laughs> Get away. <laughs> you know, there are, there are people who don't want to be helped, and they will drag you down. Um, so, you know, there are those kinds of messages throughout my books.
1: Absolutely. You were talking about companionship. Um, was this uh, something that was... Um,
2: It did happen. It did happen sometimes. It could be for any reason. Somebody would request a companion because they were ah, lonely okay. or because they were elderly or something like that, and there was nothing wrong in it. Uh, so, you know, for her, it was kind of a surprise with Mr. Markham.
3: Wow. Well, you do that now, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I was always just, trying to get me in trouble. Yeah. They, <laughs> they, they, they never come back. They never, never. No, they don't. That's, they run for the hills. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, but, okay, so <laughs> th- this character, this Miss, Miss Grant, um, mm-hmm. how much of you is in Miss Grant? How much of it comes out?
2: I would say, um, you know, I'm really not trying to toot my own horn here, but uh, <laughs> that kind of, you know, that kind of, like, kindness where you want to help other people, but um, you're also sometimes easily taken in. Because maybe are a little bit gullible, especially when I was younger, I was definitely much more gullible and didn't really understand that people would have some kind of ulterior motive or that they could feel better, uh, you know, because someone else was hurting and that that was intentional. You know, those kinds of things can be intentional. Um, you know, I would say the general wanting to help other people and just having, you know, a kindness that you don't really want to have to harden because of what you've experienced Um, I would definitely say that that part of me is in the artist. And, um, you know, that's something I've read a lot of quotes about that, not too hardened because of different things that have happened to you in life. We've all been through different kinds of hard times, and it's really easy to shut ourselves off for protection, you know. So, you know, I think there was a time in my life when I felt that way, and then there was a time when I realized that that just wasn't who I was and I didn't want to be that way. And I still wanted to, you know, just be a kind person overall, no matter what, you know. And then if somebody is not a good person, drop them. You know, that's kind of. So I would say that part of Miss Grant is definitely based on me.
3: Does that do you? Do you try to protect yourself from that, like, or do you find it easy to put parts of your real self into a book?
2: I do. Actually, I do. And a lot of times it can be put in in sort of a... Sometimes I do twist it a bit because, like, whatever about me, you know, goes into the book. I do sometimes twist it so that it's, like, something I've experienced or um, a personality trait of mine, maybe. But it's not quite me because it doesn't suit the character. Um, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem saying, you know, I think most authors have some part of themselves in every book. And we don't always want to admit what part (laughs) because it can be a bit exposing. (laughs) But, um, you know... I definitely feel that we are all in our books. Um, But like I said, I do sometimes take something I've experienced and twist it up to make it work for the character. But I do know what it's like. And um, I do put a lot of myself into these books in the way that, like, I try to experience these things alongside the character, even if it's not something I've been through. There's lots of stuff I haven't been through that that is in these books, and I've researched them or, you know, talked to people about them and things like that. But you can still, as an author, put yourself in that character's position and really feel it. And it really is as if you're there, if you really allow your uh, imagination to do that um, in a realistic way, which can be difficult at times, especially um, for some of this dark stuff. It can be a little bit trying (laughs) at times, but um, it is absolutely worth it because the fiction comes out um, really ringing true.
3: So do you dress up in old Victorian gowns and... (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, I, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I do every time I'm doing an old book. I'm I'm in an old. You book.
2: get into a Victorian gown. I do,
3: and <laughs> <laughs> and it makes me get into the story the pictures. Yeah, <laughs> I charge for them normally. But. So, what do you get out of writing a book? Um, so, like the artist, let's say the the newest one. So, at the end of the day, and it's out, it's published, and it's. Uh, it, it's over, so to speak, and now you now you're out talking about it. Um, looking back, what how do you think it's changed you?
2: That's a great question, actually. Um, I don't think I've been asked how books have changed me in the past. I'm,
3: I'm the best, just so you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> I've been asked most questions and that one I have not been asked. Yeah. Sure. Um, I well, you know, of course, every book I write um, improves my process, improves my writing. Every time, I'm very um, not self-critical in a bad way, although I do have perfectionist tendencies that are not so good. But um, I am self-critical in the way that an editor is. So I'm always, you know, looking at my work and trying to figure what could be, you know, done a lot better. And, um, you know, when I look back at my first book and my second book, I don't ever feel like I would want to rewrite them. Um, It's just every once in a while, you know, I'll look at one passage or maybe two or something and say, you know, I, now I could do that better, you know. But in general, um, you know, my style has remained the same. And I think these sometimes these characters really stay with us. And the thing that changes, I don't know if it changes me as a person, although I do, as I said, experience these characters pretty deeply. Um, I guess it just all adds up to the kind of empathy you have, for kind of everyone around you. I just feel more and more that I can understand what other people are going through, even if I've never been through it. And I kind of know when somebody doesn't want to hear that anymore, you know, that sometimes people don't want to hear, like, I get it. I understand. And just through being sort of experience and, and being these characters in a way, um, I feel like it's so much easier for me to interact with people in a way that's beneficial to both of us. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah.
3: I was just going to say, but I I, I think coming, you know, I'm an old man. So when I look back, um, it's not so much the technique and that, but when you come out of a book process and you move on to the next book process, I think there's a change that a book does that you don't realize until after the fact. Mm -hmm. I, I think when you look back at it, you start to sort of see how it's made you a different person. That's true. You know, you, true. I, I, you know uh, even if the experience isn't necessarily a new one or it's not something that you haven't talked about before, or seen in your life or known people, it's just um, it's kind of like uh, once you get through a creative process and then you move on to the next one, you are now a different person than you were before you did that.
2: Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. That does make sense. And it does change, at least for me, um, my insights just in general about myself, about people around me, um, you know, just people I see online that I interact with, anything like that. Definitely feel like, um, you know, it's almost like each time I write something, you know, that insightful nature sort of gets upped a notch in a way that can sometimes be very helpful and sometimes be a little bit, um, dark (laughs) as you can probably imagine (laughs) and um, recognizing some things that are going on that maybe aren't so good. Um, But I know, you know, as you're saying, yeah, I I do think it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly what, but you do feel changed, you know, after you complete a book, after you get through that, like, whew, I did this and wow, I'm so thrilled and all that. Um, It's almost like a, like a different kind of maturity each time. I hope that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Do do you, um, because your work can be very dark, Mm -hmm. Do you find like after you finish a book, do you have a a way of uh, decompressing and, uh, you know, moving on from that uh,
3: darkness, so to speak?
2: You know, it's really funny because everybody thinks this is pretty funny that I I write (laughs) this really dark stuff, but I'm a pretty positive, cheery person. Um, it's like, the opposite, you know, I'm definitely the opposite Mm. of what I write. So, uh, you know, there are some scenes that will affect me badly, not badly in like a really bad way, but you know, there was a scene in anatomy of a darkened heart where, for example, I'm not going to tell you what happens, but basically it's a crucial point um, where life changes for someone. And what I was going to do to this character was really hard for me to do to them. Um, Mm. And I was pretty much taking everything away from them that they had their very last hope and I really Uh I actually had to wait a month before I could write it (laughs) I knew where I was going Uh but I had to go into like a little bit of a mourning period for this character I I mean I was Mm. it was nothing I'd ever experienced before and I felt just terrible about where I was going with it but it was the right move to make and I knew it so you know those kinds of things are tricky Um, to navigate. And I just kind of let my emotions guide me, you know, and, you know, I I would say that after a book, I typically, um, you know, sometimes I'll get very excited and, you know, feverishly writing at the end and editing and stuff. And then I do need to decompress. And typically, I'll do something very um, you know, kind of creative, but a little bit mindless and i 'll do for example, needlepoint, which is something that 's hmm. very pretty you know i 'm still creating something, but it 's very, yeah. very soothing and relaxing, and that definitely helps me decompress and just kind of wash away the last thing I did
3: Well, I burned my Victorian dress Oh, <laughs> 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 big bonfire get it, get it going, <laughs> get it going. go for a run. Um, Wow! Now your 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 characters. I, I'm always fascinated in a fiction writer's characters because I don't do that, and and I and I and I kind of wonder about this. Um, so the names, the names of your characters, where where do they come from? They usually
2: do have significance, and on my Patreon, um, I did do a post that was talking about where um, specifically in Anatomy of a Darkened Heart and Brotherhood of Secrets those names came from, and I could explain every single one of them, and it was actually a lot of fun. So um, they usually do mean something. It's it's rare that I choose a name, a name that doesn't mean anything at all. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's something like in Brotherhood of Secrets, I have a lot of character names that you will recognize from The Bible, and the purpose behind that is that um, one of the characters, Mr. Locke, um, who is really the mastermind behind everything, he really tries. You need to think of his locksmith employees as his disciples. That's how he sees them, and so I name them all different kinds of characters from the Bible, and um, a couple of them are named very specifically because they're you know good people, Um, so they're named after very good people in the Bible. Um, And then, you know, of course, some of them are named after decent people who aren't so good in the book. (laughs) But um, I did choose them deliberately. Um, And in Anatomy of a Darkened Heart, same kind of thing. You know, Abigail Whitestone is the main character. Um, Similar overtones with um, some biblical names. And I did that because in the Victorian era, religion was very important. It was so important. And if you weren't showing up to church you could pretty much, you could be ostracized in some ways, you know, Um, depends on the kind of area you lived in, of course, but church was a big, big thing and religion was so important in their lives. So it was only fitting to, you know, give them some names uh, from the Bible. And I have, I do explain it's early on in the book. So this is not too much of a spoiler. um, Abigail's full name is actually Abigail Delilah Whitestone. And in the Bible, one of those female names is a very, very, um, is held up as a very good woman, and the other is the opposite. And, you know, her mother names her that deliberately as a slap of the father. So, like, there's a lot of um, very deliberate choices in there. Um, you know, it, the, her father's name is Richard, which, if we're in this day and age, could be shortened to Dick, and there's a reason for that, too. <laughs> so, you know, I do choose these names, and most of them, for a very specific reason. Yes, absolutely.
3: Well, I have to keep an eye out for that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's fun. <laughs>
3: yeah, getting get my name used too much. It might not be good. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, what got you into this world of writing? Like, where did it come from for you?
2: It's, you know, I can't even tell you, it's hard to say because it started when I was so young. I can't recall why, you know, I have always, even when I was in the youngest grades and we were learning to write and stuff and they would say, you know, what would you like to be when you grow up? It was always a writer, a writer, a writer, always. And, um, you know, as I said, as soon as I could write, I was writing little mini stories and they could really go as far as like two lines, you know. But and then as soon as I was capable of writing poetry, that was mostly what I wrote. Um, you know, in middle school, I wrote a novel. In high school, I wrote a novel. Neither are, are publishable. You know, they're, they're not very good. But they, I was still doing that all the time. Um, and I would guess it's because my parents read to me a lot when I was a kid. And I loved stories. I loved being told stories. I didn't care if they made them up. I loved being read to. Um, and then, of course, when I could read, I loved reading Um, And I did sometimes read above my level, you know, in school, um, but, you know, that wasn't, it wasn't often, it wasn't like an indicator that I was going to be some, you know, that I was going to be a writer or anything. So I guess the only thing I could put it off to is that, you know, and my mom is actually a writer. She is um, mostly nonfiction. Um, She does a little bit of fiction here and there. It hasn't been published yet, but she is a nonfiction writer So, you know, I did grow up with her talking about writing as well. So I'm sure all of it kind of came together. And it is like, it's just always been my deepest passion. It's the one thing that I love above all else. When I went to college, I started out in music education, actually, because um, at the time uh, I didn't know what I could do with with an English degree. So I went for music education because I played French horn and I was very into that too. It was always creative stuff. But I ended up switching out. You know, after one year, seeing that it was just not for me, into English literature, having no idea what I was going to do with it, just because it was the only thing I really loved. So, you know, it's just kind of like, I feel like it's in my blood. It just always has been.
3: What gave you the courage to actually decide to publish something? Hmm.
2: <laughs> Great question. <laughs> um, you know, I remember in college, I, I, I had the strangest idea in high school that, um, if I didn't get a book published or, or I didn't get a literary agent or something like that by the time I went to college, that that was just my last opportunity. I have no idea where I got that idea. It doesn't even make any sense, but that is what I thought. So as soon as I went off to college, I said, well, that's it for the writing. I'm done with that. It'll never happen. Um, but of course, as I just told you, it followed me right into college. And, uh, You know, when I was in college, I was very down on it because I just believed I couldn't do anything with it. Um, It wasn't that I had ever been told my writing was bad. On the contrary, um, my parents had always been very supportive. And even in high school, you know, I had a teacher tell me I had very unique ideas. And they were wondering what I was going to do with those ideas. Um, You know, but I was too shy to ever submit to, like, you know, the high school. um, it's It's not like a real literary journal or anything, but, you know, their publication. And I was way too shy to do it in college as well. I wasn't interested in writing articles for, you know, school newspaper or anything like that. So I just felt like I I didn't know what I was going to do with my writing. So at some point I came across in college, um, I came across a competition and it it was the Poetry Society of Virginia was having a competition. And I just was inspired by something I had learned in college, and I decided I'm going to write this poem and submit it, and I know nothing's going to come of it. Uh, And I submitted it, and it felt really good to write it, but I was like, okay, that's it for the writing. I'm just going to do this, and that's it. And lo and behold, I won the only prize, and I was shocked. (laughs) I really was completely shocked, and that, uh, that, that award still is on my wall because it means so, so much to me. Um, And after that, I I continued writing and then I would get kind of down on it and be like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And always I would have to start writing again because I do tend to feel a bit low. Like I get um, kind of sad and a bit moody when I'm not expressing myself um, specifically through writing. So, you know, I started writing more after college and submitting, and the stuff kept kept getting accepted. And I was sort of like, why? You know, like, I'm so surprised. Um, This is really something. Uh, And that actually did lead to me having the courage to publish a novel. That was, you know, those the poetry being accepted into journals and short stories and being accepted into more journals and anthologies and stuff gave me um, the confidence to put out a novel. I started writing with National Novel Writing Month, uh, my first Mm. adult full-length novel. And, you know, I felt like I could do it. So once I started writing it, I knew for sure. I was like, that's it. Yeah, this is is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. And I write other stuff as well. That's kind of my confidence story, I guess.
3: So how are you with the reviews then and with this uh, social media and all the different things out there now? Because people can be very nasty. So um, how are you and, and what does it mean to you when you get bad reviews?
2: I look at them very neutrally. I, you know, this is one thing that has been a huge benefit in being an editor. I'm able to look at my um, authors very neutrally, um, and I kind of pass that on to my author self. And I look at them very neutrally, and I, you know, try to see from their perspective if what they're saying makes sense to me. Um, so of course, like sometimes there can be an initial defensive response where you're like, "Oh, I don't think so," <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. But then naturally you need to pull it back because um, that's ego. And you and what I do is I just say, "Okay." let me think about this, and um, I don't really, I, I mean, I've been super, super lucky so far. I don't have negative reviews. I have, a couple, you know, some three-star reviews, um, so I haven't reached the point where I have anything nasty, you know, about my books or anything, but when I do see something that I, you know, don't quite agree with, I do try to look at it really neutrally to see if that's just me liking my own work or whether, you know, I genuinely, as both an editor and an author, don't think that that comment applies and like here and there I can say oh yeah I understand what they're saying okay this book wasn't for them in this way or this one wasn't as dark as some of my other ones by the way the artist is slightly lighter than you know my other books so if you're looking for an entry point there to see if you like my style that's one and it's not quite as dark as the other ones so um you know I I try to keep myself very objective and not look at it as you know, this is my baby, my precious thing that I put so much work into. Instead, I tried to look at it as, is there something to learn from here? And if there is, I want to improve my work, of course. So, you know, that's how I try to see things.
3: Oh, you're much nicer than I am. That's pretty... <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I always say to them, look, I don't go to your job and slap the sailor's cock out of your mouth, so don't come to my room and tell me that it's bad right I mean come on I mean I, I think that um I think it's when it, it's really about feeling an art anyway it's not it's not necessarily about uh, well isn't that what's more important to you is it the story itself or is it the, the the actual technique the grammar the 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 way it's written like what 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 do you find the most important thing is in a story
2: Naturally, my editor self wants to respond both, but if I had to choose one, I would say the story is the most important thing. If I can tell a really good story that's convincing, that really draws the reader in and makes them feel like they're there, um, that's really what I'm looking for. Yeah. I'd say that over everything.
3: Well, I think so, too, because if someone, has, if, if someone out there and they um, haven't been published, but they have the ability and they have a really good story they've written, it just means so much. Um, and they might not be the best writer by all means. They can get a good editor like yourself to help them get that book out and it's going to be a good book. So it's got to be about the story.
2: Absolutely agree with you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and my stuff is more character driven too. It's very heavily about the characters. Um, so I'd say the, the focus is really on having very realistic characters that do really realistic things not just uh, you know i always tell fellow authors you know don't do what's easy do what is best for the story i always do what's best for the story even if it's painful it's really you know as long as the story is the absolute best it can be then that's really what matters to me that's what i always focus on the most
3: oh yeah you gotta have a realistic sailor Um, yeah (laughs) (laughs) it it can't be a phony one (laughs) <laughs> uh, how okay so now how do people get a hold of you how to where do you like people to go do you have a website do you have a place that uh, is your favorite
2: yeah um you can go to my website and you can buy um actual you know you can buy paperbacks and i gift wrap them and i sign them and i do all kinds of fun things for them um that is at christiestratus.com um i'll just spell it because my first name is uh, can be spelled many ways it's c-h-r-i-s-t-i-e And my last name is S-T-R-A-T-O-S. So it's ChristyStratus.com. And I'm also on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash ChristyStratus. And I'm actually $4 away from my first goal, at which point I will write at least one exclusive short story a month for my patrons. So, you know, I hope people will check that out. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, Pinterest, all of those things under the same name. So you can find me almost anywhere.
3: Fantastic. Well, we'll have that link to our site as well so people can find you with one click when they're listening. So that'll be good. Um, wow. Hey, it's, how did um, COVID affect you or did it?
2: Well, luckily, since I work from home, you know, I, I work myself. I'm an editor and I have my own business. So, you know, I'm pretty much holed up in here anyway. <laughs> you know, oh, you. As an author mm. and an editor. Luckily, I am very used to being indoors, so that was not too much of a lifestyle change for Mm. me. I just kept to myself and did all my things online. Yeah, Um,
3: well, but but do you think uh, okay? So, but when the world's going crazy, like the last four years or so, um, like all sorts of weird stuff going on, things that are kind of shocking, um, does that kind of unrest or darkness kind of seep into your writing?
2: Well, you know, to a degree, yeah. And it's very funny because um, some of the, for somebody who writes a lot of dark stuff, um, sometimes I had to stop listening because (laughs) like to the news and things like that, it's too much, you know, sometimes because this is real. This is real life here, you know. And as much as I can read dark and disturbing, very disturbing books and stuff like that, and I can write them, sometimes when it's, you know, real life and it's, you know, happening, it can be too much on me, and I just have to stop. And while I stop, I'm writing all kinds of dark stuff. So it's kind of ironic, (laughs) but um, there's a very big difference from real life and fiction, of course. So, yeah, yeah, I would say um, sometimes the negativity, the uncertainty um, could get to me, and I would have to just kind of cut it all off and start fresh in in the next week or something, like just not listen to anything for a while.
3: Yeah. Well, I think with your books, you can make it stop. You know, you're in control. Like when it's outside of your control, you don't know how it's going to end, what it's going to be like the next day when you hear about something. So uh, that might Mm. be part of it, right? The unknown Mm. rather than the known, you know,
2: that's a good, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, Mm. this was all unknown. It was real. It was happening to real people right in front of my eyes. Um, And it happens to some people, you know, some people got it who I was close to and it was definitely scary stuff um, and hard to handle at times. Um, so just as you say, I can't turn that off. There's nothing I can do about that. There's not, I, in terms of when somebody you know is ill or suffering or whatever and you want to be there for them, you would never cut them off. Yeah. It's very different with fiction, of course, where, like I said with anatomy, when I went into that sort of mourning period for my character, I could stop. I could stop for a month and just wait. You know, so that's <clears throat> a whole other thing, really. Yeah. Um, much easier to be able to just stop a piece of work put it to the side, come back to it, um, as opposed to people in your real life where you'd never want to do something like that. You want to be there for them the whole time.
3: Well, it depends. Um, well, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a really interesting conversation. We've enjoyed having you and, um, uh, geez, I'd love to talk longer, but, uh, we are out of time. Um, you know, and I got an anti-mask rally to go to and, <laughs> 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 and, so, you know, I don't want to miss that. Um, anyway, um, Uh, The book featured by our our guest is the artist, and uh, the author is Christy Stratus. Thank you for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me. This was great. It's Christy.
3: To find out more about our show,
1: guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com.
3: has been completed the end by george he's got it it is the end i'll say it
2: if you're lying to me i'll be back
0: this has been a production of something with media
1: hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter
0: and 365-day returns.
2: You've been listening to the House
0: of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests,
1: hosts,
2: or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com.
0: Show is over for now. Was it as good for
2: you as it was for
0: me? Yeah. Good night.